Welcome to ESA Explorers, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. You're listening to our Beyond series. In this series, we take you behind the scenes of ESA astronaut Luca Parmitano's second mission to the International Space Station. I'm Ali Kola. And I'm Stephen Ennis. Let's go beyond. In this episode, we're going to explore all things spacewalking, or extravehicular activities, EVAs. It's an extraordinary time on the space station for spacewalking. Typically, there's one spacewalk every two to three months. But in October, there will be one Russian spacewalk and five US spacewalks. And one of those spacewalks will involve our very own Luca Parmitano suiting up to go beyond the airlock. Further spacewalks are planned for November, when Luca will head out again to extend the life of the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer, AMSO2. This is a particle physics experiment module from CERN that was never intended to be repaired in orbit. Some have compared these spacewalks to those that were carried out to repair the Hubble Space Telescope. The Hubble spacewalks focused on repairing systems that were never meant to be repaired by an astronaut, and were never even meant to be accessible after launch. Later in this episode, we're joined by the head of ESA's EVA and Parabolic Flight Training Unit, Hervé Stevenot. He will help us unpack some of the complexity behind spacewalks, and he'll talk us through just how astronauts prepare to leave the relative comfort of the space station. This is often described as the most dangerous, but also most exciting task of an astronaut's career. But before we talk to Hervé, let's cover a few basics. Okay, so for starters, what exactly is a spacewalk? So a spacewalk is any activity that involves crew leaving their spacecraft. To do this, astronauts, even the most experienced and tough ones like our Luca, need to enter a spacesuit. This task alone requires 45 minutes and help from another crew member. Both the Russian and American EVA spacesuits on board the space station use air pressure as a means of keeping the pressure experienced by the astronaut at a safe level. For instance, the current US spacesuit called the EMU, or Extravehicular Activity Mobility Unit, ugh, quite a mouthful, <laughs> keeps its internal pressure at about 30% the pressure one feels at sea level. Now it might sound obvious, but there is one major drawback, mobility. When it comes to working in modern day spacesuits, Hollywood can be a little bit misleading. It's pretty hard to move in a spacesuit because every movement fights against the suit's pressure. The internal air pressure of the suit turns it into an oddly shaped balloon that fights you every time you try to change its shape. So in a spacesuit, you can forget about touching your toes. You can also totally forget about smelling good. I have it on good authority that there is to be no showering, no shaving, or applying of deodorant for at least one day in advance, as many of the remnants of these products could mix with the pure oxygen environment inside the suit and pose a fire risk. Even without fire, heat is a serious challenge. There's a lot of technology in a spacesuit dedicated to regulating temperature. In Earth orbit, outside of the safety of the International Space Station, conditions can be as cold as minus 150 degrees Celsius, and in direct sunlight, they can be as hot as 120 degrees Celsius. Don't just take it from us. Here's Luca describing aspects of the American EMU suit and EVAs in general. This was recorded back in 2013 during Luca's Valare mission. One of the questions that I get the most is, how do you perform an extravehicular activity? How do you go out to the space station? Well, I'm currently in the airlock, which is the room that we seal uh, when we need to go out of the space station for extravehicular activity or, or spacewalks. 
uh, this is the room that we seal from the rest of the station to pump out all the air. And when we are in vacuum, we can actually open a hatch and then we go out of the station. The EMU or Extra Vehicular Mobility Unit is a special spacesuit that was built in order to allow um, people, humans, to go out in outer space. So how is a spacesuit made up? Well, obviously it needs to fit a person, so it has a torso, legs, arms, uh, gloves, and a helmet. Uh, you also see a backpack, which is actually uh, the system that provides our atmosphere, the life support system. Once we are depressurized and the system is on, the, the suit will have an atmosphere inside and we will let, and will let us survive. And in the front, we have what is called the DCM, which is the computer that regulates everything in the suit. So uh, the flow of water that lets, us, let, lets our body be cooled by a special suit with water um, tubes that take the heat from the body and, uh, and cool it down. And it also controls the atmosphere of the suit. I can also see the same atmosphere through this gauge, which is put in a special place so that I can see it while I'm wearing the suit. If you listened to our last episode, you would have heard some of the ambient noises inside the space station. While spacesuits also have pumps and fans you can hear while you're inside. We asked ESA astronaut Alexander Gers about the noises inside a spacesuit, and he said the sound of life support in Columbus, or in the spacesuit itself, even during extended periods of use, would never really get annoying. It's when those sounds stop that you need to start worrying. But to give you some idea of what it does sound like inside a spacesuit, here's a clip recorded by Canadian astronaut Chris Hatfield. Alex described the noise as about as loud as sitting in a city tram. The first spacewalk was carried out by the late Alexei Leonov in 1965 and lasted just 12 minutes. Today, a spacewalk outside the International Space Station can last around five to seven hours. The record, by the way, is just under nine hours. All this time, the crew member is totally reliant on their suit. And as Ali mentioned, also fighting the suit in order to get the job done. But space is a team sport. That's right, and they're guided through the process via radio from the ground. So Luca's first spacewalk of the Beyond mission is scheduled for the 25th of October, and that's part of an ongoing program to replace old nickel-hydrogen batteries with newer lithium-ion batteries. It's actually a task he talked fellow ESA astronaut Thomas Pesquet through when Thomas was on station. And if you listen carefully to the following clip, you might recognise a couple of the voices old nickel hydrogen batteries being swapped out with new lithium ion ones which will continue to power all of the different systems on board the station everything from the lights and the life support to all of the science experiments taking place on board hey ground lights in place crossing the stars luca copy thank you okay the hex driver is on the fucking teddy the group pool test luca copy Tomás, those are good words, um, both for the pull test and the PGT. Uh, on the way back, a uh, recommendation, again, uh, a caution I read early this morning, uh, not to touch the lubricated uh, target shaft on the, on the MTRA. I'm making my way to S4. Yeah, I'm in the APSR. Interestingly, when I caught up with Thomas recently, 
He described the process inside the Quest airlock on the space station as like scuba diving in reverse. And underwater activity actually makes up a major part of training back here on the ground. As we mentioned earlier, today we're talking to Hervé, who leads a lot of that training. So without further ado, let's dive right into that interview. Take it away, Stephen. We're doing an episode all about EVA and spacewalking, and you're our resident expert here in EAC, and I'm really excited to have you on today. So to start off our story, I'd like to start from the very beginning. Before an astronaut candidate has any experience with EVA, what kind of skills do they need to do to even start the training? Well, actually, they don't need a lot because uh, just to start the training, you need to have a basic open water diver license like you can get on any resort uh, in a couple of uh, days or weeks. So it's not really demanding. The, the demanding part starts later on with the training, but uh, we don't request a lot. And even for the astronauts, an astronaut selection, we don't ask the astronaut to be uh, certified divers. Uh, this is an asset maybe in the selection, this is considered, but this is not mandatory. And the, di- the acquisition of a diving uh, license is part of the basic training. I always thought it was kind of funny that to go to space, you have to first go down, you have to first go underwater. And even uh, today we have astronauts in caves, so it's kind of funny that to go up, we go down sometimes. Yeah, we, we need to go down underwater because the underwater environment is the only environment where we can simulate uh, weightlessness for long duration. We can do it in parabolic flights, but it's only for a, a sequence of 20 seconds. Uh, underwater, when you are uh, well balanced, when your weight is balanced by the Archimedes uh, Archimede forces pushing you up, you are like what any diver can experience. You float in the middle of the water like you would be floating in space. Right, and we actually have a facility here in EAC to do exactly that. Yeah, that's right. We have the neutral buoyancy facility, uh, which is a deep water tank, 10 meters deep, uh, where we can emerge a full scale mock-up of uh, space station modules. And this is where we implement the training. Uh, this is a typical configuration. Uh, NASA and the Russian Space Agency have the same, uh, one in Star City near Moscow, which is also 10 meters deep. And uh, NASA at the neutral buoyancy laboratory close to Houston, and this one is 12 meter deep. It's quite a sight, I can tell you, if you ever visit the European Astronaut Center, to be able to see a mock-up of the Columbus module submersed in this giant pool that sits right in the middle of EAC. So what does it take, Hervé, to maintain and operate a facility like the neutral buoyancy facility? Well, there is a bit of challenges behind because actually you have a lot of, uh, let's say, complex hardware. The training is underwater. You have many people doing things which are even during training, it's a bit it's unusual to be in a kind of EVA configuration. Uh, you have to handle tools, equipment. So actually, uh, this is a facility where you can get injured badly and you can even die inside. You can drown if you don't do things correctly. So we have a lot of uh, safety precautions, uh, procedure, checklist, uh, training, uh, uh, rescue drills that are taking, pl- taking place. And uh, we exactly match the NASA standard for the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory. So there are some quite challenges uh, behind, but uh, we have been used to it. I imagine that when you're trying to learn a new skill underwater, it's, you can easily forget about the things you need to do to just take care of yourself in, in a diving situation. So 
Could you tell me a little bit more about the special safety training that you do even for a crew to be able to learn underwater? Yeah, when, when an astronaut is put in an EVA training configuration uh, underwater, uh, they don't have to take care of their own safety. We have a full setup and mainly we have for each astronaut underwater, we have four divers uh, working together. Uh, two are uh, safety divers. Their job is to ensure the safety through the run and to make sure that if anything happens, they can rescue uh, safely uh, the astronaut. Uh, we have a camera diver, which is basically uh, with a portable camera, uh, sending some video feed to the uh, NBF control center. So as an instructor inside this control center, I can monitor what's going on. And it's one of my field of view. And we have, of course, a buddy for this camera diver. Plus, we have a dive supervisor on top, uh, on deck, and we have other people helping uh, around. So for each position, there is a specific diver training or a, a position training and certification. We have uh, utility divers, safety divers, crane utility divers, uh, camera divers, uh, deck operator, crane operator, audio-video operator. We have plenty of, of, of functions. And for each function, you have a, a checklist to be, to be used by the operators. Is there a regular system then for saying staying certified and, and say staying sharp with your EVA skills that crew must go through? After they go through the through our EVA prefermerization training at EAC, and we will talk a bit later uh, on, uh, more in more detail about that, and then they go through what we call the basic skill training uh, in suited run uh, in, in Houston. Uh, then uh, they are in a kind of pre-assignment phase, uh, and they have to go regularly uh, through uh, an exposure to EVA runs. So try to send an astronaut who has no EVA experience uh, at least to, to send this guy one, uh, one every year to get a run. And in between, uh, between runs, we can also offer uh, proficiency training in our pool just to bring them back to the, to the mindset and, and to the, the skill uh, rehearsal. So going back to the start maybe for a moment, what's the trickiest thing to train crew on for an EVA? What's the thing that most crew have the most difficulty with? Well, first of all, you have to put yourself into the shoes of an astronaut performing an EVA. And this is the most exciting experience that an astronaut can get in space, but that's also the most challenging activity they can do. Just imagine that you, for safety reasons and for efficiency, uh, you have to be super aware to develop this super awareness uh, of your environment to make sure that... Uh, uh, everything is under control. So, uh, but in the meantime, your senses or your sense capabilities have been are reduced. So uh, your field of view is limited uh, inside uh, the helmet. I mean, if, even if you turn your head inside the helmet, you don't see on the side, you don't see behind you. Your tools and your equipment and tethers on the mini station, the, the, the structure that you, you have in front of your torso. So you have to grasp them in a kind of blind mode. Uh, your movements are limited because of the pressurization of the suit. Uh, this is bulky. Your dexterity is reduced uh, drastically. It's like uh, each time you close your hand to grasp something, it's like press, pre uh, pressing a tennis ball. So uh, just imagine that you have to do this uh, hundreds of times uh, during an EVA. You get uh, completely tied. Your hands and your forearms are, are your muscles are sore and, and you, it's very, very difficult and even a bit painful. So 
you have also to stay at uh, arm length uh, from the structure because you don't want to float away in space like in the gravity movie. So which means that you have basically the face on the structure and this structure is huge. It's like big buildings. So you don't see very much. You just see what is uh, uh, just in front of you. So you see that there is a kind of... Uh, there's so many um, dimensions to it. Yeah, you, you, you have a kind of, um, I would say, a priori incompatibility between the requirement and the request to be super aware and the fact that we, we, we reduce the capability of the astronaut. So for that, you need training. And this training makes you swallowing all these difficulties, but also applying what we call the rules of engagement of the spacewalk, which are recommendations and, and behavior skills that they have to, to apply to guarantee that they are always safe and efficient. Safe, it's clear, you don't want to die in space, you don't want to be lost in space, you also don't want to lose any equipment or any tool in space because it can be, if you don't have your tool, well, uh, uh, you don't go outside uh, with a lot of tools. Uh, it's not like you go with your, your tool wallet and you say, oh, well, what do I need today uh, to unscrew this? So, uh, but also what comes around goes around, right? If you, yeah, yeah. If so, you drop so a tool during an EVA. Yeah, first of all, when you go outside, you go outside only with the tool that you need. So if you lose one tool, you cannot continue the work that you are supposed to do. And then, this, as you mentioned, this tool is flying away uh, from the space station, but it's coming back at the same location of its orbit, which is close, uh, crossing the orbit of the space station at the location where they separated. So which means that this could be a, a kind of uh, dangerous object uh, fly, uh, flying nearby and even impacting the space station. So you would put your life and eventually the life of your crewmates uh, in danger. So this is something that you don't want to do. But in addition, you want to be efficient. Uh, the EVAs are six hours long, uh, they are very packed with activity and, and you cannot spend time debugging things or solving mistakes you have done because you were not precautionous enough. It's not like you do something, you translate and suddenly you say, oh, I am attached myself here and I go there, oh, but the attachment is too far away. I go in another position, I put a cable on top, oh, my tether is below the cable. So you have to think ahead a lot to make sure that every movement is efficiently done. In addition, every move movement costs energy. So you, you don't want to uh, waste energy just doing things that are, that are uh, useless. And the, so, and the entire time you're relying completely on this suit. Yeah, this, so you, this is all of your life support. This is uh, keeping you alive. Uh, exactly. And you are, you are confined inside and this is your, your small satellite uh, vehicle. But the, the efficiency is key. So if you, st you start not to be very efficient, you will lose time and you will not be able to do the work. So that's also where, where we, we work training the astronauts in uh, getting, getting more efficient in the activity. Were you a part at all of the team that trained Luca to get ready for these EVAs? Because each one of these is a quite complicated EVA, doing something that was really never meant to be done or never uh, intended or configured to be changed. When Luca told you about these EVAs, what stood out to you as being a really challenging part? Can you, can you highlight any areas of this that are particularly difficult? Yeah, we'll have to access uh, some parts inside the AMS which are not accessible at all. So you have to, to remove some screws, to remove some panel, to reroute some fluid uh, tubes to eventually bypass them by, by cutting them and, and creating a kind of bypass connection to be able to remove some equipment. And this is something that normally with, with, a, with the current basic EVA tools that have been operated in space so far. You cannot do that. 
So plenty of new tools have been developed specifically just for this mission. And you have to make sure each time that what you capture, what you do, you do it properly. If you cut the wrong tube, if you don't cut it well, you might not have a good ceiling uh, later on. And then when it will be pressurized again, there will be a leak. This will not work anymore. If you lose a screw, that's the end of the story. And you have to go also through tiny elements uh, that are uh, hidden between uh, other compartments and you don't have a lot of visibility on that. So you're it's performing surgery in a yeah, it's, pressurized suit. It's, really it's really surgery work. So one of the main themes of the Beyond mission is, well, going beyond, going to the moon and Mars. And I know that NBF here at the European Astro Center is starting to be used for EVA training on the moon. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's come about and how that works? Yeah, actually, we don't work on EVA training on the moon because um, to, to work on, to, to do some training, you need to have a mission. And so far, we don't have any uh, officially identified mission to have a European astronaut uh, on the moon surface. So <clears throat> we don't train, but we use the environment uh, of the NBF to test equipment. As we can use the NBF to uh, put an astronaut in a free-floating configuration, like the astronaut will be free-floating in space, uh, if we fine-tune the way out of the astronaut, uh, we can make the, the person being slightly negative buoyant and having an apparent weight, which is the same as the weight that this person would have on the moon. So, and we started already to do some simulation like that with COMEX offshore of Marseille in 2013. Yeah, COMEX um, is a, a French company, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's a French company which is currently supporting us to, to um, provide divers for the neutral buoyancy facility operations and, and, and training. They reactivated a, a, an old exoskeleton uh, of, of simulating a spacesuit, uh, spacesuit constraints. And I was there with Jean-François Clairvoy at that time, and we, we did what they called uh, Apollo 11 Under the Sea, which, is, uh, which was a mission where we had to perform some basic tasks done by the Apollo 11 crew under the sea in this uh, slightly negative buoyant uh, configuration. And uh, when I went through that, I was like, oh my God, I, it's really like on the moon because I started to move around and I realized that the most efficient way to move in this environment was to jump from one foot like the astronauts did on the moon we can, that we can see on, on all these Apollo videos. Uh, so it was like, yeah, it feels like the same. We had a further development with them, uh, two, three years long study uh, to identify how we could implement similar activities in the NBF, what needs to be adapted and so on. And we started to do our first test of equipment. We, we, had, we developed some... Uh, uh, geological sampling tools for the moon based on the Apollo ones. We developed uh, uh, what we call the LISA Lunar Evacuation System Assembly, which could be uh, an equipment that could be used to rescue an incapacitated crew member falling down on the surface on the moon during a spacewalk. We could test them in this environment and it's, it's very nice and we, very, we can get a lot of feedback out of it and we'll continue on that. So it's not training, but it's testing to move forward and to get prepared for, for, for the moon. And I've heard recently that NASA has started to do the same in the Natural Buoyancy Laboratory. And actually in, the, in December, we'll have a meeting with our uh, EVA colleagues at NASA that will come to EAC. And this will be one of the topics that we will address, uh, how we can jointly continue uh, in synchronization to uh, develop on both sides and, and to help each other for this uh, underwater 
uh, moon spacewalk simulations. So that's one big evolution for, let's say, how the neutral buoyancy facility is being used and how preparations are starting for going beyond going to the moon and Mars. And we're recording in late September. I really hope that the statement that there's no planned EVA, European EVA on the surface of the moon, I really hope that statement becomes outdated quickly and that we have to release an update for this episode at some point to, to talk about the plans for that EVA. So Irve, thank you so much for taking the time today. I think you've given us a great walkthrough of uh, training, not just in ESA, but also uh, how NASA trains for EVAs and also just the challenges that go into an EVA. Um, I think you've really added a lot. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the ESA Explorers Beyond series. Hopefully you enjoyed hearing from Irve, Ali and I about all things spacewalking. This episode only scratches the surface of this exciting aspect of human spaceflight. If you'd like to hear even more, please let us know. And don't forget, you can actually tune in to watch all of the ISS Spacewalks live. Follow at ESA Spaceflight on Twitter for all the latest updates on where and how to watch. This podcast is brought to you by the European Space Agency. You can learn more about Luca and his Beyond mission at lucapalmitano.esa.int. Tweet your questions or thoughts to at ESA Spaceflight using the hashtag ESA Explores. You can also email us at esaexplores at esa.int. And of course, hit that subscribe button to stay up to date. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.